I wonder, what is it, what is it that you hope for? What is it that you hope for? You know, maybe, you know, I, I would think back maybe when I was in, I'll say junior high. That's maybe a good place because it was probably more intense then than it was in, in uh, elementary school. I would hope for a good grade even though I hadn't studied. Ever, you, know, you hope for something that maybe, maybe there's just not a lot of hope to it. Maybe, maybe you're hoping that you, you are really, throughout all of your life, you're a really good parent. I want to be a good parent. I hope I'm a good parent. Maybe if you're a college student or just graduated from high school, you're saying, I hope I can get into UCLA. Or I hope I can get into USC. And frankly, if I had to choose, it's fight on and go Trojans. So there you go. Just get that out there. You know, anyway. So I just, I just have to be, just have to be honest. So what is it that you hope for? And, and when you look at our present circumstances, COVID-19, <laughs> what are we hoping for? Uh, just to get through one more day. To, to get through the, the mayhem, the interruption to our life. I think we also, and I don't want to say this in a way that is taken inappropriately. We, we just hope we stay well. There's a lot of things that we hope for in life. Uh, Gary Gunderson, I don't know this man, but he is, he was the direct, he is the director, he actually is a vice president for faith and health at Wake Forest University Hospital, University, excuse me, Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center, let me get it straight. Uh, he did an interview a few years ago, and, and actually it was a, about six years ago, far before any of this, of what we're dealing with was even on anybody's radar. But he said something really significant because they're looking at a variety of issues as it relates to the health community. He said the urgent work, now listen to this, the urgent work is no longer lies in understanding the leading causes of death. Now think about that. The urgent work no longer lies in understanding the, the leading causes of death. Rather, it is to understand the leading causes of life. I thought that was fascinating. And then he went on, then he went on to relate a list of things that are the leading causes of life. You know what one of those, one of those items was? Hope. Hope. Hope is something that each of us need to not just not just to sustain the next day, but it's really to sustain all of life and to give us a life that is full. And I would also, just in light of our, of our topic for this series of messages, I believe having hope will produce joy regardless in our life. Without hope, joy just kind of flitters away. It becomes less of something that we can expect in our life. And then you think about it. Because of COVID-19, the stresses of life, and listen to this, and this is a phrase I don't want you to misunderstand, the stresses of life and the deaths of despair, okay, not deaths, not deaths, but the deaths of despair, that is, these are all on the rise. In people's lives, these things are just continuing to swell up in our life. And 
it's created in a lot of different ways, whether it's job loss, fears uh, for loving for loved ones, working on the front lines, uh, isolation, juggling work and, and children at home, and so many different things. For those who are on the brink, for those who are on the brink before this crisis, their worst fears have been realized. In other words, because of all of these other pressures that were already there, now you throw this into the mix and what happens? Everything continues to bubble up even more than it had previously. And something is lost in all of that. Joy certainly is stripped away, but I will also say despair replaces hope. Despair replaces hope. And honestly, people just simply don't know where to turn. According to one report, in the context of COVID-19, the depths of despair should be seen as the epidemic inside the pandemic. Despair is rising. It's rising. Yet, yet, hope, hear this, hope can make the present difficulties much easier to bear. Wouldn't you agree? Because we all hope for something. We all hope for something. You see, having a vision, having a vision that hope will happen, whether it does or not, can just make you feel better. Just knowing that there is that hope out there, it, it, I, can, I can envision that. I can envision a different future. I can envision a different life. And there's something about that that energizes us and creates in us a sense of joy. Uh, Dr. Judith Rich wrote, she said, hope, I love this, hope is a match in a dark tunnel. If you've ever been in just a pitch black tunnel and somebody lights a candle or lights a match and you go, wow, it's hope. It shows us a pathway forward. It's a moment of light, just enough to reveal a path ahead and ultimately the way out. Hope, hear this, hope shows the way. Hope shows the way. The passage of scripture that I did not include in the notes, but I wanted, I wanted to leave it with you this morning be, as we begin. And it's always a risk for a pastor to say what I'm going to say right now, but I'm going to take the risk. Here we go. If you don't hear anything else, remember this. Right? So go, sweet. That's my opportunity to go back to sleep. It's all good. No, 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 no. Please don't do that. But if you don't hear anything else, Make a note of this verse. Do something so that you do not forget it. Romans chapter 2, excuse me, Romans chapter 5, verse 2. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope in salvation and ready this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly god loves us because he has given us the holy spirit to fill our hearts with his love praise god there's in we can endure it's going to build us it's going to grow us the hope will not disappoint us. The hope of salvation remains strong and intact. Why? Because God loves us desperately. Grateful for that. We're going to talk about hope this morning. So pray with me. Lord, thank you 
for your word. Thank you that what we are what we're experiencing right now, challenging, yes, but Lord, we're just going to light a match of hope and we're going to find we're going to find that in your word today. Because hope shows us the way and we and we see hope throughout scripture and hope doesn't disappoint us. We're excited about what you're going to say to us today. Give you all the praise in Jesus name. Amen. In a series as we have already said enjoy regardless and we're going to look at Philippians chapter number 3 today verses 17 and 21. Now I did something a little different today. I I pulled this from the New Living Translation. I normally read from the NIV in our text, but this had a richness to it I felt was uh, it merited our using it as our text today. So look at it with me. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For For I have told you often before, and I'll say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we're citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We, e- we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will, he will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. I want to talk about three things about hope today. And so that... So you just keep this understanding. Remember what the theme of Philippians is. It's joy. Paul is in prison. And he speaks, I think he speaks everything through, through that lens, through that filter of joy. Hope is one of those things. So the first, the first thought this morning is that hope rises when we identify and follow godly examples. Hope rises when we identify and follow godly examples. Paul is very clear. He says, pattern your lives after mine. Now, how, how, does hope, how does hope factor into that? Well, Mark Twain said something very humorous. He said, few things, <laughs> few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Now, he was tongue-in-cheek. Because we, we look at that and you, you see somebody that's a good example and you just kind of go, what? How? Does it, it just doesn't matter what goes on in this person's life. They just maintain this level of life and character that's extraordinary. And I'm just so annoyed. The reason I think that Twain could say this is that the annoyance is not this sense of something being negative, but rather it's just this knowledge, the observation that this person has got such a good example. And honestly, when we identify that person and we pattern our life or follow that person, something's going to happen. Hope's going to rise in us because we believe at that moment that we can be like them. If they can do it under these conditions, I can do it. We need to have that same confidence. You see, Picture what happens when a person of genuine hope comes into your life. In a flash, the whole atmosphere changes. If you've ever been around a person like that, they walk into a room, and rather than being, you know, Debbie Downer or Dougie Downer, they, they come into a room and it just lights up because 
of this inner character, this inner understanding and knowledge and living out of hope. You see, the impossible actually begins to look possible. Defeat starts to look like it could be turned into victory. Difficult things begin to look like they may actually be possible. Courage replaces courage replaces fear and strength chases chases away powerlessness. Hope is that important. That important. For joy to be sustained and deepened within our life when everything in the world is has been interrupted, pushed aside, crushed down, ignored. Let me tell you something. Hope is desperately needed. Those that we pattern our lives after and choose to follow are critical in sustaining and deepening our hope. And I would just ask the question, who are we following? Who are we following? I'm on Twitter every day. I don't tweet, okay? I don't do much. I Normally what I do is I'll retweet something if I see something I really like. I'm on Twitter every day. And it is amazing to me the amount of followers some people have when I read what they tweet. And I go, what? And then I begin to think about it like this. If I'm following that person, what is the eventual outcome of my life and my perspective? And it just goes on and on. And I will tell you, it doesn't, it matters a lot whom you follow. And I'm not just talking about Twitter. I'm talking about who is it you're following. Because it is, a, it is an absolute certainty. When you are following the wrong person, hope will be crushed. When you're following the right person, hope rises. The key is identifying, identifying those, those, those people. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. You must, I love this, you must follow my example. Stop. Don't read anymore. You already did, I know. You must follow my example. Boy, that's arrogant, isn't it? What an arrogant guy he is. You must follow my example. And here's the key. You ready? As I follow the example of Christ. That's what is key to understanding that. Paul patterned his life after Jesus. So what does that even look like? So I just look at one verse. It really helps us understand, I think, what that looks like. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What does he say? For I am what? Say it with me. For I am what? Gentle and what? Humble in heart. Gentle and humble in heart. That was Jesus. And Paul says, follow, you must follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That was Paul's life. He was humble. And, and if you need an illustration of that, we've been studying it for the last couple of weeks in Philippians. So look at Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul says, once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as 
garbage so that I can gain Christ. What do you see in the Apostle Paul? You see humility. You see meekness. You see, no, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. Let me tell you, when Paul says to the Corinthians, you must follow my example because I follow the example of Christ, I say, absolutely, I'm getting in line. That's the kind of person that I need to identify and I need to follow. When I do, hope rises and joy is sustained. So let me ask you, who's, who are you following? What are you patting, who are you patting your life after? Proverbs 13.20 has a great verse. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. I love that proverb. Have you ever walked with the wise? Have you ever walked with the wise? How do you do it? And once you identify a person, you say, okay, how do I walk with that person? Well, I, I would suggest three things. First, you need to build a relationship with them. You need to have a friend, okay, a, a friend. Now, it, it's not social media friends. I got a lot of social media friends, and I still am amazed. I look at that and I go, I don't know that person. I don't know that person. I don't know that person. But they call me a friend. It's good. I'm, all, I'm okay with it. My point is, is you need to build a relationship, a friendship. I am grateful for the mentors in my life. And I have, I have a number of them. I'm very grateful for them. About 20 years ago, which is really hard to say. I can't believe it's been that long that it has. About 20 years ago. Uh, actually, no, it was 20 years ago. Thank goodness. I about thought it was 30. And I thought, no, 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 it can't be that long. About 20 years ago, I was facing a very difficult challenge in my life. And I felt like it was one of those moments that if it went this way, everything that I was familiar with was going to just disappear. So it, I was on this, it was really a pivot point. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I sat down with one mentor, and I just poured it out. And they said to me, incredible counsel and wisdom. Offered prayer, walk with you, talk with you, do whatever I need to do. But I had another one, I, I had another mentor I had to speak to because they had a greater level of accountability in my life. So I needed to spend a few moments, and I did. In both cases, here's what happened. While they were mentors, had accountability in my life, they were both friends. And they told me the truth. They told me what I needed to hear and when they did, and they pledged their support to me, something happened. Hope rose, and joy was restored. Friendship. Build a relationship. Second thing, oh, it's Proverbs 17. A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born in a time of diversity, adversity. Excuse me. Second thing of how we walk with the wise is you need to share life with that person. And I would just say it's frequency or frequently. In other words, you don't build a relationship just in a casual one-time thing. What happened before was something that was built over time. Frequency creates that deepening relationship. That's how, you how, that's how you know you're walking with somebody that's wise. If you walk with them once, they can fool you. They can fool you. But when you walk with them for years, they can't fool you anymore. Frequency is incredibly important. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself pursues selfish ends. He resists all sound advice. Frequency. The third way that we walk with the wise is you need to keep moving ahead. This is the idea of forward momentum. The wise, you might want to write this down. It's not in your, it, it won't, 
see any place where it's it's printed. The <laughs> you ready? The wise will take you to better places. You're just going to go to better places. What was this first verse we started with? Because a companion of fools will cause harm. They're going to take you to better places. 1 Corinthians 15, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So I'm going to ask you one more time, who is it you're following? Who is it you're following? Because when you identify and follow the right and good examples, hope rises. The second thing this morning is that hope thrives when we acknowledge and live as heavenly citizens. Hope thrives when we acknowledge and live as heavenly citizens. If you've ever traveled outside the U.S., you realize that you need a passport to do that. That passport identifies you as a a United States citizen. There are a lot of uh, uh, co- there's a lot of privilege connected to that. It is a, a great joy to come back into the United States having traveled abroad and have that border and customs agent say something like this, stamp, welcome home. There's something really special about that. But it creates a privilege that other, that, that people who are not citizens of the United States don't have. Now, if you come to this country and you want to become a citizen and you are a a foreign national, you can, uh, by choice and by oath, become a naturalized citizen. It takes, you know, it takes years to do that, but yet you can become a naturalized citizen. Now, when you do, you, although you are a foreigner of another, from another country, you are now a citizen of this country. Hear this carefully. Each one of us in this room have dual citizenship if you know Jesus. We are residents of a foreign country, which is the land in which we live. Now, I'm not talking about our our American citizenship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual citizenship. We are foreigners in a country that is not our own. We are just in a transit mode between here and our eternal home. We are citizens of another country. You say, what? Yes, we are citizens of another country. We are heavenly citizens. You say, okay, that's cool. And I want to tell you, hope thrives. Hope thrives when we acknowledge that. I want to tell you something. Hope should just begin to run through the roof of your mind, your heart, and your spirit when you recognize, when you acknowledge the fact that we are citizens of heaven. Man, that... That's encouraging to me. And it should also cause joy to rise, regardless of what's going on around us. Joy. You see, life in the present, life in the present is motivated by an awareness of the future. I think some of the reason that we are so depressed and so despairing and so down is that we forget that this world is not our home. We're so locked in. I'm not telling this to anybody other than me. I get so locked into where I'm at, and don't misunderstand. I love where I live. I love my life. I love everything about it. But the truth of the matter is, I need to have, I will have life in this world in an incredibly different measure when I understand that I am a citizen of heaven. It changes everything here. Let it change it for you. Paul mentions 
the responsibility that's connected to heavenly citizenship. And really what I see is I see him kind of unpacking this in at least three ways. The first one is this. A citizen of heaven expresses godly sorrow. You say, well, how does that work? You know what's interesting? When Paul says it here in Philippians 3, he says, I talk to you, and he says it this way, even with tears. Tears. See, there were individuals within the church at Philippi who were were just doing things that were contrary to the things of God. There's no other way to say it. In fact, he weeps. He weeps over what I would call conduct unbecoming a Christ follower. Conduct unbecoming a Christ follower. Now, it's just very, very sad to think of it and to see it. You see, what's important for us to understand is that you say, well, Gary, how does it all work? Doesn't it require us to judge somebody else? No, I understand that judgment is wrong. That's not what Paul is saying. But there's not a person in the room, there's not a person of faith who doesn't recognize when someone they love or someone that's close to them begins to go off the rails of faith. And their faith begins to diminish And you begin to see them spiral away farther and farther and farther away from the things of God. And what it should do as a a citizen of another kingdom, as a heavenly citizen, it should drive us to sorrow and weep and hurt for that individual. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9, for you have felt a godly grief. When is it that we have felt a godly grief? Here's another scripture I didn't include in your notes, but James 5 and verse 20. Remember, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. You you see, when we are weeping and when we are showing this godly grief, what we're doing, we're living as a citizen of a heavenly kingdom because we don't want one of our fellow citizens to miss out on all of the life in the present and the life in the future. Godly sorrow is a quality of a heavenly citizenship. The second quality is that it desires godly discernment. And what is interesting to me is that Paul says it this way. He says, these individuals are enemies of the cross. That's a really strong statement. They're enemies of the cross. And then he goes on, he says, they're living in ways that are, are just 100% diametrically opposed to the things of God. It's just, he's weeping over that. But what he's doing, he's exposing these things. And I want to tell you, it's discernment that he is showing us. And I believe that as a citizen of the kingdom of God, we should be people who are discerning of spirits. We understand what God is saying. We're we're mindful of that. We're allowing God to work within us so that we become more and more discerning. And I wonder how we might do that. The way we do it is to be in a right relationship with God. Proverbs 1 and verse 17, how does man become wise? The first step is to trust is to trust and to reverence the Lord. The second way we do it is to become more discerning is to dedicate ourselves to knowing God's word. Jesus knew the word of God, and when he knew the word of God, he knew when individuals 
would go off the rails of faith. And I want to tell you, when you know the word of God and you are discerning in your spirit, something happens when your family begins to go down roads that you just aren't comfortable with. There's something that's troubling in your spirit. That's discernment. We need to be discerning. This is a, this is a quality of a heavenly citizen is discernment. And the third, well, uh, Psalm 119, verse 66 says, teach me good judgment. For I believe your commandments. And the third way that we develop discernment is to depend upon the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within every one of us. And we just have to say, God, help me. Help me understand. Give me wisdom. 1 Corinthians 12. The spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Do you hear that? So we can help each other. It's not to show our spiritual prowess. It's to help one another. Give someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And then the third way, the third way that we live as a citizen of the kingdom is we commit to a godly lifestyle. These are important. You, you see, I think sometimes the reason that we don't have hope and joy doesn't follow our hope is because we're not living as a heavenly citizen. We're just not. A number of years ago, I was, I was traveling back from El Salvador, been on a missions trip, and I was tired, and I was sick, and I, I was not feeling well. Uh, no, I was sick. There's no way around it. Sitting and sitting and getting ready to land in uh, Los Angeles, where I think, yeah, we were landing in L.A., and the flight attendant comes by, and she's handing out the immigration forms, as they would do when you come out of uh, another country, and they'll also ask you questions, are you a citizen, are you a citizen, are you a citizen, and so forth, so all those kinds of questions. So she walks up to me, hands me the form, and she looks at me, and she says, she didn't ask me the question, she said this, you're an American, and I went, I've just been profiled. Now, I figured it was because of this all-American face, that's what it was, or it was the flag shirt that I was wearing, no, it was neither of those, I'm sure, but it was really interesting to me, there was something <laughs> There was something, I know, don't misunderstand, I'm very proud to be an American. That's not the point. There was something that tipped her off. I don't know what it was, but there was something that tipped her off. I wonder, is there something that tips off other people in your life that we are citizens of heaven? Does our life reflect the citizenship of heaven. We are to live in such a way as to be recognized as citizens of heaven. First Peter chapter 2, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And look at this. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Did you catch that? As temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. We live as citizens of heaven and hope will follow and joy will be sustained regardless. Finally, hope flourishes as we wait, as we wait and are powerfully changed. Hope flourishes as we wait and are powerfully changed. 
Growing up, I heard about the second coming of Jesus all the time. It was one of those very often spoken uh, messages, reminders. It was always there. Here's what happened. I lived basically in a constant state of fear, always. And then after fear wore off, I just dismissed it. It became very ho-hum to me. Why? It was too far distant, didn't seem to have any relevance to me. I was too young, didn't matter, you know, just on and on and on. Whatever the reasons were. Now, in my parents' defense, now understand, I grew up as a pastor's kid, so I heard it a lot. And I not only heard it in the pulpit, I heard it at home. I heard it all the time, so I just dismissed it all. Now, in my parents' defense, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how they explained it, but here's what I remember. I never remember one time, I don't remember one time, the coming of the Lord ever being spoken to me in a way that promoted hope or joy. Not one time. Now, I give them all, I give them a, they probably did, they probably did, I didn't hear it. So what I want to do this morning, I want you to hear it. The second coming of Jesus Christ is not an escape. It's not running away from the world's problems, but it is the hope of every follower of Jesus Christ, and it should create immense amounts of joy within us regardless. It is the hope of the church. And how does hope flourish in the midst of that? It, hope, it, it flourishes as we wait. As we wait, you say, what? I don't like waiting. I got, a, I got a miracle that happened a couple weeks ago. You ready? I went to the DMV and I was done in 15 minutes. Don't tell me miracles don't happen. They do. I, I'm just saying, none of us like to wait. But you see, we are, as Paul says, we are to wait eagerly. That's what he says, eagerly. Listen to these verses. We are to, first of all, we're to live in anticipation, not dread. Expectation, not fear. Readiness, not laziness. That is the eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. Matthew 24. You must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. 1 Corinthians 1. As you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2. As you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9. And he will come again, not to deal with our sins. This time he will come bringing salvation to all those who are eagerly and patiently waiting for him. James 5, 8, you too must be patient. Don't give up hope because the Lord is coming soon. 1 John 2, 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. As we wait, hope flourishes. You see, it is an anticipation, it is an eager expectation that Jesus is going to come. I don't know if he will come today, tomorrow, 10 years, or 100 years. It does not matter when he comes. My responsibility is to eagerly await his return, and I do so, and my hope will flourish within my life, and my joy will be sustained. Second thing that I love about the coming of the Lord is it will be changed. We'll be changed. I used to have dark hair. I'm believing when I get to heaven, I'm going to have dark hair again. Maybe it'll be blonde. I always wanted blonde hair. I don't know what I looked with blonde hair. I looked what, This is what I look like with gray hair. I don't know about blonde. I'll stay with the dark hair. 
I used to not have to wear glasses. Those are simple things, aren't they? All of this will be changed. Everything will be changed. I want to tell you something. When you say goodbye to a loved one who has suffered, who has struggled physically or with their mental capacity, and knowing they step from this life into the presence of Jesus, and they are changed in a moment's time. Does it get any better than that? Hope, hope in the change. And I say it this way, I'm looking forward to the day for Gary 2.1, whatever that looks like. You see, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says it well. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot have a part in the kingdom of God. Something that will ruin cannot have a part in something that never ruins. But look, I tell you the secret. We will not all sleep in death, but we will all be changed. It will only take a second, as quickly as an eye blinks. When the last trumpet sounds, the trumpet will sound. Those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we all will be changed. You see, hope flourishes as we wait and then expect that powerful change. Billy Graham said something so wonderful. He said, our world is filled with fear, hate, lust, greed, war, and utter despair. Surely the second coming of Jesus Christ is the only hope of replacing these depressing features with trust, love, universal peace, and prosperity. Amen and amen to that. Hope. Way for joy to be sustained in our life. And Paul gives us a way to discover it, to live with hope. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. We praise you for your goodness, your greatness. We praise you that we can have hope in this life and forever. Thank you for that. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Stand with me if you would.